Hi everybody, I'm John Dunford and I've had the pleasure to manage Sharon Shannon for many years. So I'm going to give you my version of the recording and the background to the Diamond Mountain Sessions album released in 2000. The idea of an album with a few guest singers first came about from a discussion with Grapevine Records boss Paddy Prendergast following the release of Sharon's Each Little Thing album. Paddy had suggested Kirsty McCall to sing Libertango, which is the Grace Jones track written over a melody by Argentinian accordionist Astor Piazzolla, which appeared on Each Little Thing. Paddy had managed to get Kirsty for us to sing the song, and Sharon was delighted. And at the same time, he was looking at ways of expanding and growing Sharon's audience. And that's my earliest memory of the first conversation around an album that would later be called The Diamond Mountain Sessions. Very general discussion, kind of a what if, maybe there was a drink or two involved. Anyway, it ended there and that was 1997. So fast forward to Galway in 1999 and the great Steve Earle had arrived in Galway to write a book of poetry. Now Sharon and Steve had previously met at the Station Inn in Nashville at one of Sharon's gigs in 1996. So when Steve came to Galway, Sharon and her friends adopted him and introduced him to lots of musicians in Galway. It took him to all the best sessions, trad sessions, etc. Steve ended up writing four songs during his few months there. Maybe it was six months. Four songs that I know of, anyway. Dominic Street, Steve's Last Ramble, and, of course, the world-renowned Galway Girl, which he had recorded those three with Sharon. And then he wrote another song called Dixieland, which he later recorded with the Del McCory band and appeared on his album The Mountain. Now, I mentioned Grapevine Records earlier on, which was Sharon's record label based in London. It had been set up by Paddy Prendergast and his partner Steve Fernie, and that was a record label and a distribution company which was run by a guy called Nigel Reveler. Now, Paddy had signed up some top Irish and US acts such as Christy Moore, Mary Black, Sharon, Emmy Lou Harris, Janice Ian, Steve Earle and many more and had built up an exciting roster of recording and touring artists. Steve Fernie's background had been business affairs at BMG, the major label, so he had been dealing with licensees and distribution worldwide and Nigel Rever then ran the UK distribution end of things. Paddy Prendergast also owned A to Z, a CD manufacturing company, and it helped that most of the above acts were signed to the Asgard Booking Agency, also based in Camden, where Grapevine's first HQ were. So Paddy had built up a great strategic alliance, or alliances with Paul Charles and Paul Fenn at Asgard, who were European agents to Steve Earle, John Prine, Jackson Brown, Hothouse Flowers, Christy Moore, Mary Black, plus Sharon. So it was a very good system. And it meant that there were licensing and distribution channels available worldwide because of Steve's background. On top of this, Paddy was really a great guy and he built great relationships with the artists and with artist management all through the 90s and was a dynamic force in actually making things happen. Paddy was also the man behind the international success of A Woman's Heart. Sharon signed to Grapevine in 1994 and between 94 and 2000 recorded and released three albums out the gap each little thing and the Diamond Mountain Sessions. So I recall very vividly that I was walking up George's Street in Dublin in the rain one afternoon in September when the phone rang and it was Sharon in a very excited form. 
I stepped into the doorway of Yamamura Noodles to shelter from the rain and take the call, which was a long one, because she began telling me about the now famous and unfortunately late Desi O'Halloran from Inish Boffin. Sharon rang me to say that the song, he sang a particular song in his set, which was called Say You Love Me, and it used to take the house down, and she would really like to include that on her next album. Thus began the discussion between me and Sharon so now we have some tracks by Steve, and we have the track by Desi, and now what we need is some more guest singers. Actually, that was the beginning of the formation of the idea of the album. One of the other people that, that Sharon was very enthusiastic about was a guy called John Hoban, an amazing singer and writer, songwriter and person from Castlebar, County Mayo. Sharon's band at the time was the Woodchoppers, which comprised of Jim Murray, Tony Malloy, Lloyd Byrne, Mary Shannon and Liz and Yvonne Kane, the two fiddle-playing sisters from the Letter Frack, Connemara. Sharon really wanted to record an album outside of Dublin with a little bit more leeway in studio time and maybe a better organic type feel. So... With the help of Liz and Yvonne, Sharon recruited Stephen Gannon, who was the owner of the old monastery hostel in Letterfrack, as a potential prospective landlord. I spoke to Stephen and he agreed that the hostel would be available. And so we made a deal to record from late October up until early December. So having sourced mobile studio equipment from Totally Wired and with Sharon's live engineer at the time, Tom Skerritt, and monitor engineer Dickon Whitehead on board, we decamped to the old monastery in early October to meet Stephen Gannon to design the layout of the studio and make a deal on the accommodation and catering. Now, for those of you who don't know, Letter Frank is a small village in the heart of North Connemara County, Galway. The old monastery hostel was part of what was a notorious industrial school for wayward boys, or what were called wayward boys, in the 1950s and 60s. And it sits at the entrance to Connemara National Park and just lies in the shadow of Diamond Hill or the Diamond Mountain. So, recording Julie began in late October, with Sharon and the Woodchoppers in the studio for most of the time. And as far as I recall, Desi O'Halloran, Carlos Nunez and John Hoban's tracks, and pretty much all the other instrumentals, were recorded during the Letter Frank sessions. Donald Lunny arrived for a few days and as it was a hostel there was accommodation for everyone and Stephen Gannon's brother-in-law Tim was the hostel's resident chef so everybody ate like kings and queens and then tried to make it to Veldon's pub across the road before closing time which somehow we always managed to achieve. Now John Hoban's influence over this album was very subtle but nonetheless very important and he contributed his own song called Sloan Levan, which is an ode to Van Morrison. Carlos Nunez, the brilliantly talented Galician piper and whistle player, wrote two beautiful pieces, Acosta de Galicia and Yota, or Hota, deported the Cabo. And of course, Desi O'Halloran brought Say You Love Me, a song which is still a hit to this day. Other tracks recorded there were The Hounds of Letter Frack, the Perno Waltz, Fire in the Bellies, featuring the amazing fiddle playing of the Kane Sisters and Northern Lights, another fiddle track. This is not to forget Sinker's contribution. He was a great whistler from the area, Paddy MacDonald, known as Sinker. OK, I'll stop talking for a while and play the opening track on the album. And this features Sharon the Woodchoppers plus Donal Lunny and 
the amazing Carlos Nunez, Acosta de Galicia. I divided my time between the studio in Letterfrack and the office in Dublin and the Kennedy Centre in Washington during October, November. I was one of the producers of Island Arts from Ireland at the Kennedy Centre, which was to take place in May 2000. This was a celebration of Irish and American music and arts in honour of Jean Kennedy Smith, who had served as ambassador to Ireland during the Clinton administration. Sharon and many other Irish and US artists were to take part in the event in May 2000. 
part of the arrangement was that I had to attend the Kennedy Centre Honours, which is a really prestigious event. A lot of music and film stars in attendance. Black Tie, which took place in December in Washington. And as a quid pro quo, Mickey Berra, production director at the Kennedy Centre, was to take a trip to Ireland. So I invited Mickey to join us at the old monastery in Letterfrank, which was about as far removed as possible from the splendour of the Kennedy Centre. So Mickey arrived on the last day of recording, loved what he saw, and the whole party decamped to the Abbey Glen Castle in nearby Clifton for a celebratory meal and drinks. It was a great night of music and fun, and so when Mickey, slightly the worse for wear, was sent off to Shannon to catch his return flight to DC the following day and was driven by Sharon's good friend, Squire John Knee, he was full of enthusiasm for the event the following May, and so a great bond was made between all of us. During this time, the Grapevine label, in an ambitious move, merged with Ritz Records in London. Uh, Ritz was owned by Mick Clerken at the time and was home to Daniel O'Donnell and many Irish country stars. The new company listed on the AIM Stock Exchange in London, which was the merging of Ritz and Grapevine, went public and raised finance for an expansion, became a PLC and moved from that lovely funky building in Camden to spacious new offices in Wembley. And while it was a bold and ambitious move with much bigger staff and Paddy still CEO, the feeling was becoming a lot more corporate as Paddy now had a board of directors and shareholders to answer to. Right, OK, so I'm going to take a break for another track and this track finishes off the album uh, except for Sinker's Whistle tune. This one is called Northern Lights and I really love the energy and the shit-kicking type of vibe that's off this. It features Liz and Yvonne Kane on fiddles and a few people that drop by one night, Jesse Smith and Sean Smith, no relation to each other, both fiddlers, and Donna Hennessy on guitar. Incredible. I hope you enjoy it.
So with the letter frank sessions over and about 50% of the basic tracks laid down, it was agreed that further recording would begin at Totally Wired Studios in Dublin beginning in January. Now, Totally Wired was in a place called The Factory, which was full of rehearsing rooms, dance studios and storage cages for equipment. And it was like a meeting place for people in the industry. Barrow Street at the time was a little neglected with disused buildings everywhere and the factory was just that, an old factory. Sadly now the factory is gone and Barrow Street is newly gentrified and boasts the European headquarters of Google, no less. Around the same time that recording was to start, Paddy Prendergast secured a commission for Sharon to write the theme music for a BBC comedy series called The Fits. So... In true Sharon form at the time, this is composed pretty much on the spot by Sharon and it became known as the Four Jimmies. So that was the only instrumental track recorded outside of the Letter Frank session. So at that point, we needed some more singers to complete the album and Paul Charles had suggested Hot House Flowers. Liam, Fiekna and Peter, the Hot House Flowers, arrived at the studio and Sharon suggested a song by Hank Williams called The Banks of the Old Puncher Train, which he first heard sung by John Hoban. Now, Peter, Fiekna and Liam, great guys, fantastic musicians, and so they really loved the song. And having heard this for the first time in a long, long time, I realised what a great version and what a great song it is. And I really like the newly written piece by Sharon in the middle of it as a kind of a refrain instrumental refrain you should say anyway I'm going to play that for you now this is the banks of the old poncho train Texas to old Louisiana, through mountains and valleys and plains. Footsore and weary, I rested a while on the banks of the old Pontchartrain. train. The fairest young maiden that ever I saw passed by as it started to rain. We both found a shelter beneath the same tree On the banks of the old Pancha train I ventured a smile but she thought I was bold I hastened to try and explain Somehow I knew I would linger a while On the banks of the old Pancha train Shower an hour or so She asked me how long I'd remain I told her I'd spend the rest of my days On the banks of the old punch train 
time drifted by We fell deeper in love A love that would just bring her pain I knew that one day I would leave her alone On the banks of the old punch train I just couldn't tell her that I ran away From a jail on the West Texas Plain I prayed in my heart I would never be found On the banks of the old punch train The same day I said again without saying goodbye on the banks of the old punch train tonight as I sit here alone in my cell I know that she's waiting in vain I'm hoping and praying someday to return to the banks of the old Archer train. So, when I was a discussion with Paul Charles about the Hothouse Flowers, Paul brought up the fact that Jackson Brown was in Dublin for a few days between shows in Europe and that he might be up for recording a track. Turns out he was. Sharon had already met Jackson backstage at Middle Street Festival a few years before. And Sharon and Mary Shannon had gone to Madrid at Jackson's invitation to appear in a live TV show where they performed Take It Easy, the hit made famous by the Eagles and written by Jackson and Glenn Frey. So Jackson arrived again, another lovely guy, really, really relaxed. Um, Donald Lonnie was on that track as well and they did a great version of Bob Dylan's version of the traditional song A Man of Constant Sorrow. At this point in the recording there was only one addition needed but we had to wait for a few months. As I mentioned, John Hoban had a subtle if powerful influence in this entire record. I grew up with John in Castlebar, County Mayo and John had a huge passion for folk music all his life as well as rock and blues and soul. But in particular, his heroes at the time were Woody Guthrie and Rablin Jack Elliott, both forerunners to Bob Dylan. John, in his late teens and early 20s, had travelled extensively, seeking out music everywhere he went. And when he returned to Castlebar in the early 70s, he brought home the music of John Prine. I think John Hoban unknowingly 
to John Prine had been Prine's biggest and best PR person because he spread John Prine's music everywhere. John Hoban often gigged with two sisters, Mary and Kate Staunton from Tormakiti, County Mayo. The sisters moved to Galway in the mid-80s, met up with Sharon, introduced Sharon to John Hoban, and John Hoban introduced Sharon also to the music of John Prine. In the few years before 2000, John Prine himself had begun to holiday every summer in Canvara, County Galway. And while I don't know the exact sequence of events for this, but when John was asked if he would contribute a song to Sharon's album, he said he would like to record whilst in Canvara in July. To complete the entire picture, Sharon asked Mary Staunton if she would do a duet with John. John wanted to record somewhere in Galway, but there was no studio available. So we moved the mobile recording gear that had been in letter frack into Sharon's house at Killeenan, about 10 miles from Galway. The control room was a downstairs bedroom and the studio itself, Sharon's kitchen. Now, it was a very big kitchen, so it managed to accommodate all the musicians who played on that, uh, which was a pretty big group. Incredibly, the cottage with the stone walls, flag floors, hand-plastered walls had a beautiful acoustic. This recording was the beginning of a series of projects that were recorded from 2000 until 2015 in what later became Poets' Corner Studios. John Prine had set the ball rolling for a 15-year time span where Sharon subsequently recorded nine of her own albums where Imelda May, Shane McGowan, The Waterboys, Ronnie Drew, Eleanor Shanley, The High Kings, Mundy, Damien Dempsey, Declan O'Rourke, to name but a few, all recorded and very significantly, where Desi O'Halloran recorded his own album, The Pound Road. In fact, I think The Pound Road was the first full album that was recorded at Poets' Corner. Anyway, John Prine's Love, Love, Love was recorded on a fine afternoon in July. And I recall we all went to the old schoolhouse restaurant in Kilcolgan for dinner and drinks afterwards. John was an absolute gem. With a big heart and a gentle soul, John was great company to be around and he loved a bit of crack and he loved a drink as well. He loved people and music and adored Kinvara and the pub sessions which he regularly attended and took part in. Sadly, John passed away very recently due to COVID-19 in March 2020. So, the album was done by July 2000. We needed a name for it. And Sharon and I wanted to call it the Diamond Mountain Sessions. Paddy thought it might sound like a live album, but we prevailed and got our wish. It was a great album with a great collection of people, names, and just in terms of the musical content and also the names that were on it, a mixture of unknowns and well-knowns, but with a really great vibe throughout the entire album. This album had everything that Paddy ever wanted in order to progress Sharon's career internationally. So it should have been an ideal commercial international launchpad for Sharon at the time, given the resources and reach that the RMG Music Group now had. It had plenty of songs for radio, as well as stunning instrumentals. It also predated the movie and soundtrack to Oh Brother Where Art Thou, which renewed interest in American roots music Americana, old-timey, bluegrass and folk music in general and was a massive success. However, as things go in the music industry, at RMG, things were not good. 
Petty spent most of his time in corporate mode dealing with the board and shareholders and less time with the music end. So the momentum and relationship that I had built up with him from 1994 had begun to sag and the dynamic of the relationship with RMG changed with much less involvement by Paddy, much bigger staff um, and a bigger roster of acts. A lot more corporate feeling about it. When the album was released in Ireland, RMG Ireland under Peter Kenny and Janine Nallan threw a big launch party in Inish Boffin, an island off the coast of Connemara and where Desi O'Halloran hailed from. The album was a great success and it began a steady climb to the top for Desi. The label released The Galway Girl by Steve Earle as the first single and aside from a few plays, it was largely ignored. However, following an appearance by Desi O'Halloran with Sharon and her band on Ireland's Late Late Show, Say You Love Me started to become a radio hit in Ireland. And despite the international might of the likes of Steve Earle, the Hothouse Flowers, John Prine and Jackson Brown, it was the man from Inish Boffin that was at the heart of the album's success in Ireland. Along with Paul Charles, I had booked tours in Ireland, the UK, Spain, France, the US and Japan for 2001 to promote internationally the Diamond Mountain sessions. However, the direct contact I had with Paddy at Grapevine had been eroded and so the business synergy and relationship that we had built in the previous years around Out the Gap, Each Little Thing had dried up until Paddy was finally ousted as CEO of RMG. In a bizarre move, to me at least, Paddy had been replaced by Ron Winter who was the UK head of Death Row Records and Death Row and RMG were amalgamated. Death Row was home to Tupac, Shakur, Snoop Dogg and many other rap artists. The RMG Wembley offices now had platinum discs by Daniel O'Donnell on one side and then a replica of an actual electric chair which was the logo for Death Row Records on the other side. This was a very confusing sight which physically and metaphorically meant the end of the road with Sharon and Grapevine and the opportunities of worldwide record label support and everything that that could bring with it. Sharon and I had arrived at the spot which Paddy had been asking us since 1997. That was, give me a commercial album. But unfortunately, Paddy was gone and the new regime had no interest in continuing with the ambitious plans for Sharon's career hatched by Paddy, Paul and myself. The label had lost its motivator and so the Diamond Mountain Sessions achieved very little of its potential internationally, but such is the way with the record business. In Ireland, however, everything was rocking with the new star of Sharon's band, Desi O'Halloran, and Desi toured the world with Sharon and the band in 2001. Desi sadly passed away also in 2019. However, little did we know at the time that it would take another seven or eight years for the Galway girl to emerge. And when it did, it became massive. But that's another story. So I'll leave you with Steve Earle, Sharon and the Galway girl. Well, I took a stroll on the old long walk of the day. I met a little girl and we stopped to talk of a fine soft day. Fella to do Cause her hair is black and her eyes are blue And I knew right then 
I'm a taking the world And a sawtooth crime with a Galway girl oh. Like a Galway 